Bonjour. Hi, Sam. That's、uh, very funny, Comrade Toronto. Thank you very much.、Uh, you want to explain to folks why it's funny? <laughs> As、uh, only the best jokes require.、Um, there was a whole kerfuffle in the media and at the National Assembly in Quebec City a couple days ago because the parties that are preying on nationalist sentiment are unhappy that. Store owners in Montreal are saying hi as well as bonjour, melding English and French, as opposed to simply saying hello in French, which is bonjour. There's a specter looming in Quebec, the specter of anglicization. Anyways,、um, but yeah, this is not the Angry Anglo podcast, but it definitely is a podcast where we wring our hands about the rise of fascism in Quebec. <laughs> Would you like to do any hand wringing today, Sam? Um. There was a large white supremacist fascist demonstration in Quebec City. I believe it was two weeks ago now. Yeah, November twenty fifth. It、yeah. was,、uh, by many accounts, the largest far right demonstration in Quebec since the nineteen thirties. And what really alarms me is is the level of support they have seemingly all across the province outside of Montreal. And obviously, this is a time to be organizing against these folks for for people in and around Montreal and Quebec. Take this as trace general warning to get organizing. I know that left to my own devices. I will talk about this way too long.、Uh, so Sam, what what else is on your mind? Well, this only dawned on me about five to ten minutes ago, David. But I believe this is going to be our pre Hanukkah episode. Oh, interesting. What 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 day is Hanukkah on the、uh, Gregorian calendar this year? It is December twelfth、okay. and goes through the twentieth of December. You looking forward to it?、Um, I don't really celebrate religious holidays. Are you against、uh, fire? Well, I mean, also growing up in an Orthodox Jewish community, it was never really a big holiday.、Mm. So it's not like like a lot of people I know go back home around this time. But、yeah. uh, around this time every year, where all these、uh, sort of whether it's Star Wars or any of these Marvel franchise films come out, I go to the theaters. I get really excited and I watch the movies, and and they are really exciting, and I really enjoy them, and it. Taps into my long relationship of reading comic books and engaging with sci-fi, TV, and, and movies, but the politics of these movies are usually actually pretty horrendous. That's and, fair. And there's a consistent colonial politic embedded within a lot of these movies. Ah, I see where you're going, David. And what we're hoping to offer as a part of our conversation today is an antidote to those colonial politics—a way to engage in sci-fi from a decolonial and anti-colonial indigenous perspective. I've never seen a segue like that in my life. It's a Hanukkah miracle. It certainly is.、Um, what David is alluding to right now is the fact that we recorded an interview with Molly Swain and Chelsea Vowell of Métis in Space. Yeah, for those unfamiliar with Métis in Space, it's a terrific podcast where Molly and Chelsea sit down with some wine and review a sci-fi movie or, or a TV episode that feature、uh, different Indigenous peoples, tropes, and themes, and try to deconstruct them throughout the show. And we phoned them up a couple days ago and discussed kind of the origin of the show, some tensions they've run up against, and what imagining radical futures looks like. Yeah, I had to hold myself back a bit from、uh, getting in too deep into specific things that were talked about on episodes of Metean Space.、Uh, but as a result, I feel like we're actually able to have a pretty good conversation. So, without further ado, here's our interview with Molly and Chelsea. Okay, great.、I'm、ready to roll when you are.、Um, all right. So, do you feel okay to jump into it? Yeah. 
Tanzen ir tu tem tik, čelsi vēlni cīgās on. Mali svēna cīgās on. Man tu sakai ignīt ni to cīn. O, tu skon ignīt to cīn. We're the hosts of Odepems with Goyalak. Kids against the Gook. Mitty in space. Space, 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 space. I am super impressed with how much you have in sync the intro to the show. Yeah, it's interactive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks, thanks so much for talking with us. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm yeah, so ready. I know, I love this. I mean, we, we want to talk with you for a lot of reasons, not uh, a small one of which is that we love the show and listen to it all the time. But I, I feel like we get asked this sometimes. So I wanted to ask you folks before we talk about other things is maybe to just describe a bit of your personal trajectories that led you to the show. I mean, it's it's it was it was a really boring summer. My children were gone and I, I was sort of adrift and bereft always like Molly I'm so bored and depressed and and, and I was yeah. like very very underemployed and so I was always like Chelsea I'm so bored <laughs> and depressed and so we just hang out and drink wine and yeah. watch sci-fi and just complain and uh, then Ryan McMahon who does the Red Man Laughing podcast sort of like the grandpappy of indigenous podcasting in Canada <laughs> uh, released a sort of how to podcast podcast yeah and, and we were like, we man, to that. we should actually do a show because we would listen to that all the time. Yeah, we think we'll, we're hilarious. Yeah. We could just listen to our own jokes over and over again. Yeah, maybe our moms will listen. And our us. moms did not listen. No, they didn't. But we are still our biggest fans. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, we basically got together and we decided to just do what we were doing but record it. We came up with sort of a vague idea of like a theme <laughs> for the show. And three days later, we recorded our first episode. Yeah. Did you feel like there was a purpose initially to the show or was it more just like, this is fun, this is exciting, let's just put it out there? You know, part of part of what we were trying to do was push back against what we were seeing as being the overwhelmingly colonial nature of science fiction mm -hmm. as we watched sci-fi and consumed science fiction, you know, TV and movies and books, etc. ourselves. We kept seeing the same tropes coming up over and over again, the same narratives. And so... You know, while it started out as just something that we were doing for fun and it remains something that we do for fun, yeah. uh, we didn't realize when we began how many Indigenous sci-fi fans there are. Yeah. Yeah, I think also being Indigenous in the East, like in Montreal, is very different than being Indigenous on the prairies. Oh, yeah. um, there's way more overt and clear racism out here. And in the East, we found there's a lot more sort of exotifying narratives around Indigenous peoples. And so I think like for me, doing this was pushing back against that as well. Like, you know, we're not your stereotypes. And because I, I was just getting, I was so sick of that. It was like in every realm that I was just hearing these weird tropes about us, you know, mainstream sci-fi and speculative fiction was also, it's it's being transmitted into, you know, the overculture. So for me, this was like kind of a, I was flipping off uh, <laughs> sort of everybody. everybody. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that actually seems to be like a pretty strong tendency in a lot of podcasting, like just getting mad at people recorded. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when when David and I started the show, we had like a specific goal in mind. We were trying to like comment on the news and then the news was happening too fast and we only recorded like every two weeks. So it didn't work. And it's kind of like evolved over the years. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that at the beginning of this season of your show, you mentioned a shift as well. Could you mm -hmm. talk about like some of those changes that have happened in the in the four or five seasons that you've done? The first big change that we had was uh, in our first season, we had a segment called Ask a Moonie or Ask a White Person, where we basically had uh, Chelsea's husband, who has, it turns out, a theater background, which yeah. is amazing, come on and, and play different caricatures of, of white men. Every flavor of white male mayo, from sort of like a really liberal academic to, you know, a, a rural <laughs> yeah. yeah, ATV guy. 
and just about everything. And then we ask him a question and kind of jokingly give him a quote unquote Indian name and all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but what we found was that white people loved the segment yeah. so much. They mm. like we were having unironically. Yeah, they were like asking us to be the Mooney Owl, and we're like, you're missing the point entirely here. Yeah, you know, we realized it wasn't doing the work that we wanted it to do for people. Yeah. Uh, so we ended up switching switching the segment in the second season, which was actually really really fun because. Yeah it allowed us to do more and explore more of the wide range of things you can do with a podcast. So, you know, we moved into more world building stuff, which of course science fiction is very much about building and exploring these new worlds. And and part of what we try to do with the podcast is we talk about how we're from 300 years in the future where uh, everything's been decolonized. And so how do we live? How do we address conflict that comes up mm-hmm. problems that might rise? But our second big change was, as you mentioned this past season, when we decided to switch to either like indigenous starred science fiction or indigenous made science fiction. Yeah, you know, we had three seasons panning mainstream sci-fi and something that we we hear a lot from indigenous actors and filmmakers on social media is they're kind of like, look, you, everybody gives so much attention to these big productions that get it wrong, but are you supporting us? Are you making sure our work is getting out there and maybe spend some of that energy expended on outrage and spend it on promoting us? And I felt that that was a really good critique and we figured we should do some of that. We should build up Indigenous people a bit more, get some of that information out there. But it's certainly more difficult because it it's easy to just pan mainstream stuff and be like, it sucks, we hate it. Mm. But we have to be a bit more careful when it's Indigenous people mm. and, it, you know, they don't have complete freedom of choice here, right? There, there are lots of constraints in place and so you don't want to be telling people that they're making the wrong choices and whatnot. So it was a little bit intimidating, I think, this this season. Yeah, yeah and I think, you know, part of the, the challenge, too, is that when it comes to mainstream sci-fi is you get the same three or four thematic tropes, mm-hmm. you know, over and over and over again. And, you know, everybody knows them. You've been watching them. You've been seeing them happen your whole life. And so it's, you know, it's easy to kind of point it out. And, and it was almost by rote by yeah. the end of the third season. We yeah. were like, okay, they hit this one, this one, this yeah. one, and this one. They had a vision <laughs> quest. They had a white guy who becomes more Indian than the Indians. They, they turn into an animal. Native woman. Yeah. They have the Indian magic. It's like, okay, bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes to Indigenous-made sci-fi, Indigenous sci-fi that's done right is really, really embedded in specific cultures. Yeah. And, you know, for us, we come from a very specific cultural background, but we don't know everybody else's yeah. stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we, we've watched Navajo sci-fi, we've watched Maori sci-fi, we're going to be watching some Australian sci-fi. And for sure, we know that we're missing stuff. We're going into stuff we don't know everything, we're stoked to not know everything, yeah. and, you know, it's it's given us a lot of insight into the diversity that's out there and the diversity of what people can offer, the way that people act, the way that people choreograph and film their stuff, um, the aesthetics the kinds of stories that people want to tell. It's been super awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, something that's been, it's been on my mind at least, like we've been traveling, talking with students. And and I think like something we've realized through these conversations is sort of like how central envisioning liberatory futures is to the work that we want to be doing. Yeah. Like in Jewish communities, the fact that people often feel unable to envision futures free from the forces that foster anti-Semitism, it often leads to support for some pretty horrifying reactionary politics. Mm-hmm. And something I've been thinking about lately is the fact that that work of envisioning that future often seems so absent from movement spaces. And it seems interesting to me that this is getting taken up through podcasting and, and through these alt media projects. And and so I'm just interested how like the spaces that you feel this is happening in versus not happening in. Well, we have more freedom to to sort of skip to the end. 
to skip to that decolonial future and not have to explain step by step how we got there. You know, and sci-fi enables you to do that, right? You're, you're not watching Star Trek and being like, how exactly did they get there? I mean, if they fill some of that in, great. But otherwise, we're able to suspend our disbelief and just take what they give us, right? So we wanted that freedom as well to just say, let's imagine where we want to be in 300 years. We don't get many opportunities to do that because so much of organizing and just regular living is is reactive to what's going on right now. Like you're just trying to meet your basic needs. You don't have time to do like, you know, five-year plans, envisioning for the next 10 years or whatever. Like you're just, how do we not die in the next, you know, month or year or five years, right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, and that's, that's part of the thing, right? Like rising austerity, capitalism, et cetera, et cetera is really, I think, deliberately setting up people to have that sense of only the short term. Yes. Right? Like that constant scarcity anxiety, that constant sense of the coming apocalypse. You know, you can either close in on yourself, you know, become really isolated, invest deeper into a system that you know is messed up, but you think is the only way, you know, that you're going to survive. Or you can start doing the more radical work of that visioning. Because I think mm-hmm. like when you start to envision what you want the future to be, the pieces start falling into place with regards to how you're going to make that happen as yes. well. And I think as Indigenous people, we kind of have a, a step up from a lot of other people because, you know, it's not only about envisioning the future, but it's also about almost remembering a future, yeah. right? Because we have so much to draw on. We have our traditions, we have our cultures, we have our own histories, and we know how to live on the land and with the land in a way that I think, whether it be people who have arrived here recently or people who've come as settlers or, or what have you, like don't have that kind of connection and that history to draw from. So for us, you know, the world building that we've been doing and the future that we've been envisioning, you know, it, it, it's a future, it exists, it's got badass technology, it's not going to look exactly like the past, mm-hmm. but a lot of what we're doing is we're taking the best or like what we feel to be the best yeah. of our traditions and reimagining it 300 years into the future, mm-hmm. reimagining it in sort of a post-climate change, post-capitalist semi-utopia. Yeah, we don't have to invent an entire new ideology or set of constraints like we already we already have a really good sense of how we're going to continue because we're already post-apocalyptic. We've been post-apocalyptic since contact. So I don't think we have that same sort of idea about like our impending doom as the apocalypse nears. We're like, nah, been there, done that. <laughs> been there, done that. Yeah. Like in terms of what you're saying about the, you know, the short-term political work versus this long-term visioning, I'm curious how the work you do outside the show, whether it's political or otherwise uh, relates to the show and if it blurs together or if you have sort of like a clear distinction between the show and, and the rest of your life? Oh, man, definitely not. I no. mean, what we do uh, on Métis in Space is really influenced the way that I approach Cree language programming, which is my main focus at work. And more importantly, I think that Métis in Space provides the generative energy to not get so bogged down by what we're facing, like the colonial violence of the everyday, mm-hmm. that that it allows us to sort of recharge and keep going in ways that are mindful and and hopeful. You know, we didn't think there were that many Indigenous sci-fi fans. But there's so many. There are tons. There are tons and tons. And, and, you know, we've been lucky enough that people have contacted us letting us know that they've started their own podcasts because they heard what we were doing, for example. The Indigenous Pillow Talks podcast, which is about Indigenous women's sexuality, started up after we went out there and we were telling Indigenous women, just go do the thing. Do it. It's media unmediated by the state in a way that is very, very difficult to find these days outside of the internet yeah you know and even even large internet platforms you know huffpo etc etc right like you're you're always under somebody else's 
editorship. Yes. So with podcasting, you can say whatever you want. You can put it out there on the, you can get on iTunes relatively easily. Yeah. yeah. For example, or, or a SoundCloud, you can get that going for free and you can get what you want to say out there, which is unprecedented, mm-hmm. I think. On the subject of media that is unmediated by the state, the Canadian media isn't generally known for its anti-colonial politic. <laughs> how, how did your relationship with, with Indian Cowboy like formalize? Can you talk a little bit about that network and if at all the, the show has had any relationship with more mainstream entities? Okay, so uh, Indian and Cowboy launched right around the time that we had started Métis in Space. We we actually just contacted Ryan and we're like, hey, you know, we just started this. Is Métis in Space a fit for this? And Ryan McMahon was like, yeah, for sure. So we've had some requests for syndication and, and things like that. And we always weigh it with who's who's doing the requesting. And we're doing this for fun, but it's still, you know, you guys know it, it takes time to do all this, right? And if somebody's asking you to, like, edit your piece down even more, like, do we have the time? Do we do we really care about being on this audience? And I mean, we've been sampled for CBC a few times. And yeah. what we do on Métis in Space, it's for Native people. Mm-hmm. Indigenous peoples are free to use our podcast, to riff off it, whatever. Everybody else has to ask. <laughs> and we're not here to translate anything. I, I, I know that I have been asked sometimes to like explain things to a non-Indigenous audience about, you know, some of the things we talk about. And I'm not interested. This is a this is for us. And if other people get things from it, that's awesome. But I'm not like, I'm not willing to change anything or do any of that translation. Yeah, which is why I think Indian and Cowboy is, is such a great mm-hmm. platform for that, because that's, that's their whole thing. It's by Indigenous people, it's for Indigenous people to get into podcasting, to get into writing, to get yeah. into, you know, having their voices out there, which is so great. Yeah. So before we let you go, uh, we wanted to ask, sometimes on the show, we have this segment, it's called Shkoyach, where we congratulate someone who's doing something really great. Wait, uh, it's like a shout out or a big ups, like generally. Yeah, but we also have what's called an, an anti-Shkoyach, if someone's doing something horrible, which is a lot easier to give. And we're just wondering if you had anyone that you would want to award such an award to uh, on the show. Oh, man. Oh, well, I think we have to narrow it down because there's yeah. like so many good works. So like, let's yeah. just, let's maybe narrow it down to like other people that are doing amazing indigenous stuff yeah let's let's give a shout out to a tribe called yeah a tribe called geek is another podcast sci-fi podcast platform media empire, empire. yeah they got all <laughs> sorts of stuff going on and uh and so there was recently like an indigenous comic-con in the states and this confluence of indigenous that's happening because of podcasting and social media and whatnot that you know in terms of visioning the future i think it's going to influence our academics our scholars our you know community people one of the things that they do really, really well is they're very, very community oriented. Yeah. They do tons of work in the community. They do tons of work with youth. They're out there. They're really bridging sort of the the podcasting world and the multi the internet with what's going on on the ground through science fiction, through spec fic. Oh, they're just the best. They're the best. I, again, like I feel like without Métis in space and without your encouragement, Molly, we would probably never have started this podcast. Oh my God, um, that's so, so nice to hear. So I mean, like, I, I hope you would have started it yeah. anyway, but <laughs> like, that's, thank you. But yeah, thanks, thanks so much for, for chatting with us. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. That was our interview with Molly Swain and Chelsea Vowell, the hosts of Métis in Space. 
Again, for those who have not heard this podcast, you can subscribe to it on iTunes. They have a SoundCloud page. You can go to the Métis in Space website. Highly, highly recommend this podcast. The website's actually fantastic. Shout out to whoever put that together. Also, Métis in Space is part of an indigenous media network called Indian and Cowboy. We, we talked about it in the interview. And they have a Patreon running. It is patreon.com slash Indian and Cowboy. If you enjoyed the interview and like their work, please donate. Also, for those of our listeners who are living in Southern Ontario, we have two dates coming up for the workshop that we do about deconstructing how we think about anti-Semitism. The first is on January 26th at the University of Waterloo as a part of a conference that the Ontario Public Interest Research Group is putting on. And uh, the second date is on January 28th in Toronto at the Morris Winchevsky Center, uh, which is being organized by the United Jewish People's Order. So folks in the six and adjacent areas, come check us out. Yeah, we'll be posting about it shortly on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash podcast. As has become customary on this podcast, please do the following things. A, write a positive review on iTunes. B, send us a voice memo, somewhere in the range of 30 seconds to a minute. Tell us your name, where you're at, and we'll air it on a future episode of the Trave Podcast. C. Send comments and suggestions to trafepodcast at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. We also have a rolling letters from listeners episode coming up in the near future. So send them along. Yeah. Any questions you have, please send them over our way. Facebook, Twitter, or our email account. We'd love to hear from you. D. There's so many things. If you have some extra Hanukkah gelt, Mm -hmm. you should do one of two things. Okay. The first, go to patreon.com slash Indian and Cowboy. Most definitely. And donate to them. If you have extra gelt from that extra gelt, secondly, go to patreon.com slash podcast and donate to us. And for those listening over the next two weeks, Merry Kratzmech. Trave Podcast is Sam Bick and David Zinman. A huge thanks to CQT 90.3 FM, where we record this podcast under the shadow of the giant cross of secularism on occupied Ganagahaga territory. We'd like to extend a tremendous thank you to Kira Page, Claire Hertig, Cadence O'Neill, to our staff rabbi, Ariana Katz, and to the providers of the music for this episode, Sax Syndrome and So Called. Please send us questions, comments, or suggestions to trafepodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at trafepodcast, T-R-E-Y-F. More episodes soon. On on the subject of Hanukkah, I was wondering if you saw the Facebook post of friend of the pod Yusuf Katia. I did not. It is a blow-up bear, but it's blue and white and has Stars of David all over it. Well, it's everything we love all together, Sam. <laughs> well, thanks for tagging with me. I guess uh, Facebook knew to block that from my sites. So is Trafe going to give these thumbs up or thumbs down? Of course, thumbs down. Not even a thought. <laughs> so I says, I says, hello. There you go. Say something loud. Loud. Louder. Louder. <laughs> That's it, everybody. Good night.